at the moment, we see so much chronic disease. So we want to focus on prevention. And the only way you can focus on prevention is your daily habits, so your lifestyle. So that includes nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress management, as well as how you manage your, your behavior and your social relationships. Hey, y'all, you're listening to Risky Behavior, where no subject is off limits. Kick back, tune in, and enjoy a beverage with us as we explore controversial topics and answer scientific questions. Ranging from health and nutrition to behavioral risks and climate change. I'm Dr. Taylor Wallace. And I'm Dr. Shatta Chakraborty. Together, we'll loosen lips and spill tea with special guests you will not want to miss. Really excited to have our next guest, Dr. Soheb Imtiaz. He's a medical doctor in lifestyle medicine, born in Ireland, currently in Manchester. And he's known as the digital doctor on Twitter. And he's all about merging health, technology, innovation. He's an entrepreneur and an early beta tester of the social app Clubhouse, which is actually where and how we met in a virtual room discussing the connection between physical and mental health and the role of tech and innovation. So it occurred to me that he would be a great guest on this podcast so we could really get into the nitty gritty of some of this stuff because lifestyle medicine is really not a common term as of yet, right? It's, it's like a new concept. So let's learn about it. No, thanks for having me on. Um, this is a great topic and something I love talking about. So yeah, lifestyle medicine, um, a very new space. Uh, well, it's not new. It's something we should, we've been kind of practicing for a long time. It's just got a term now, right? So just for the listeners, a bit of a background, it, it started with the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, a big movement kind of at the moment, we see so much chronic disease. So we wanna focus on prevention. And the only way you can focus on prevention is your daily habits, so your lifestyle. So that includes nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress management, as well as how you manage your, your behavior and your social relationships. So that's kind of what lifestyle medicine is. Now, how it's become a thing is that um, this American College of Lifestyle Medicine has kind of expanded its reach across the world. And this body set up around the world now. 2018, they set up a, a new exam for lifestyle medicine um, for physicians. So now as a doctor, you can kind of qualify or board certify, as we call it, in lifestyle medicine. So you can almost prescribe things like exercise, nutrition, and you're pretty well versed in these things. Um, and then that's the kind of new wave of healthcare to kind of prevent this. You know, you're probably obviously aware of the kind of mental health issues we've got right now diabetes, obesity. So yeah, that's, lifestyle medicine is pretty cool because it's kind of empowering the person, helping them change. Well, one of the things that I think is so neat about lifestyle medicine is, you know, being a, a nutrition scientist by training, um, you know, we often think about things in silos. We study things mm -hmm. like, you know, do calcium supplements help with bone? And we think, of, we think of it very much in silos versus lifestyle medicine seems to be much more of a global approach to health and wellness. I do have to ask a question about the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Is there a movement to get more lifestyle medicine, nutrition, you know, kinesiology uh, into medical school curricula? Because as a nutrition scientist, I, I often find that doctors for the, the majority in the US have very little training in the nutrition area and, and they get information in very similar places uh, that consumers do. So that's an excellent question. So yeah, that's the problem, right? You're a doctor, you should know all of health, but it's shocking how, how little we actually get taught in, in medical school about these things. And these are kind of the fundamentals of health. 
So um, yeah, there's a lot of movement. Um, I mean, the American College is also looking after allied health professionals. You've got the whole team because medicine is nothing without a team, right? You need you need the nutritionists, you need the specialists, psychologists, you need the physical therapists, and obviously they are the specialists in their domains. But doctors need to understand and and have a good understanding of these things. So. Um, yeah, they, they, they are incorporating a lot in the curriculums. And now as a family medicine physician, you can dual qualify. In medical school, there's modules as well that they've incorporated. So you will see this wave because um, if we don't, then I guess healthcare will be too overburdened to cope. Um, and that's why they, they the medical schools are kind of incorporating it now. It's, it's going to be slow, but it will get there. And it is cost effective to invest yeah. in preventative care. We know this, right? If yeah. we can prevent somebody from ending up in the hospital, then you, the best outcomes, it's better outcomes for the patient, society writ large, that's lost productivity we're saving, right? So it, this is why we're seeing the shift. People are living longer. We're experiencing more chronic diseases like diabetes, like cardiovascular events. And yeah. we need to be more proactive and invest more upfront. I talk about this in relation to climate change and just infectious disease outbreaks, how pre proactive preventativeness is really yeah. the key. And we, I mean, it starts with individuals, it starts with our health, and we've been so bad at it. I used to be a pharmaceutical sales rep. It feels like another lifetime, but oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things I don't, I don't lead with so much these days, but I did sell Viagra at a cardiologist <laughs> for Pfizer. Um, so Viagra, Norvest, Caduit, Lipitor, like the, the drugs, right? Yeah. But we would always say, uh, the cardi so when you talk to cardiologists, they would say when you advise your patients who are man managing a chronic illness yeah. or a risk factor around cardiovascular disease, you would uh, the first thing is lifestyle changes, right? So diet, nutrition, sleep, yeah. stress management, all of those risk factors that contribute to cardiovascular outcomes. Then you reach for a drug therapy, except yeah. that's what we said, but it didn't actually manifest in practice because America especially, and this is why I'm so curious to compare and contrast yeah the US and the UK, America especially is so quick to just jump for the drug therapy without looking at these lifestyle tweaks that can make a huge difference. So I love that this is this is happening, but why did it take so long? I mean, literally this started in the last 10 years. I mean, you know better than me about behavior, right? Behavior incentivization. Unfortunately, chronic disease, lifestyle change, it's seen as slow. Um, return on investment takes a long time. So, as health systems, instead of thinking of people's you know, health spans, so health span being how well you can live longer into your life, right? People are thinking of quick results. And it's very, obviously, money is a big driver in centralization to give a lot of, obviously, medications. In the UK, we are a public healthcare system, so we don't have those same incentives. Um, however, the incentives to kind of, the, the system is quite overburdened. So you almost don't have that time to spend with a patient to go through all these lifestyle management changes, right? Um, something you'll find interesting would be that, his, so doctors themselves who advise their patients to, for example, lose weight, if the patient perceived the doctor as living a healthy lifestyle or being in a, you know, um, being quite, um, use the word fit, right? Then they lost more weight. And that was such an interesting study because patients look up to the doctor as someone who should implement what they do. And even if you look at a lot of health professionals, so many of them themselves, right? They, they, they smoke, um, they, um, yeah, exactly. Can you explain to us why diet. doctors smoke? How, how is that? <laughs> how does that happen? I know I don't. So I, I don't want to speak on behalf of the others because I've asked them these questions, but, um, I guess so, so, so people's normal response normally is stress, right? They say stress is this kind of trigger for smoking behavior and nicotine is meant to help calm those things. I don't know how true that is. 
but that seems to be why people say it. But um, I think it's, I don't want to say the word hypocritical, but if you, if you are promoting health, if you, if you are trying to prevent disease or you are an ambassador for health, which I think doctors should be, um, and it's a lot of pressure, but you have to, I think, live that kind of um, role model lifestyle. And, and I mean, I love being healthy, but that's always been a personal interest and probably why I did medicine, because <laughs> I was always a computer science type of guy as well <laughs> at the same time. Um, but I do love health. So the systems are different. Obviously, the U.S., um, I've not worked in the U.S. I have worked for a startup in the U.S., and I do know the challenges that exist. So um, the biggest problem seeing insurance companies is that um, having people become healthier is great for the system. Having someone with diabetes ends up costing the system, you know, 50 to 100K. If you can prevent that, if you can incentivize someone, maybe even by paying them, you can prevent that disease and you can save so much money. But it's the fact that people move from job to job if you're no longer at that job, then that employer doesn't care. So it's all about how you model these things. And uh, Shweta, you're, you're like a behavioral scientist, so you're pretty aware of the exact nuances of it. Why don't we talk about the specific things like nutrition, Taylor, mm -hmm. in relation to like sleep and stress and all of it? One of the things with our healthcare infrastructure, and you know, we could go so many directions with this. I mean, I'm just looking into um, the District of Columbia here um, in the U.S. is looking into a produce prescription plan where doctors can, you know, if you've got type two diabetes, doctors oh, can start prescribing certain foods that would be covered by Medicaid. So, I mean, there are little programs like this um, starting off uh, all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where the lifestyle medicine piece is gonna take yeah. us, these exercise prescription programs. I see a ton of Fortune 500 companies over here offering their uh, employees uh, incentives for going to the gym or being physically active. You know, they have the little bands that count calories. But I think this is a really good way to kind of jump into uh, yeah. data because you've done a lot in the data world. Um, and part of the problem with nutrition and healthcare is you're right. You jump jobs, uh, you know, you lose all of that data. You know, when I started my own business, I um, had to get a different health insurance plan, different doctor electronic systems just don't talk to one another in general you know I, i've had a dad um, that has severe parkinson's um that you know is getting multiple mm -hmm. prescriptions from multiple like, uh doctors in this little small town and there's no one system that you know kind of says hey <laughs> you know on this um and it's even worse when it comes to nutrition and lifestyle medicine because the systems that are in place don't even incorporate that when I was at the National Osteoporosis Foundation, um, we had a fracture liaison service because the primary care physician, the orthopedic surgeon, like none, nobody talked. And the only piece of nutrition that was in there was, do you take a calcium supplement or not? It's, <laughs> it's kind of wild. Which is like negligible. I mean, you've raised a, a great point. Um, and that's why we with data. So data and tech was actually probably my first love before lifestyle medicine. <laughs> I am quite into kind of quantified self. I mean, people say it's kind of sometimes a bit extreme, the amount of data I like to track about is my health alone. Um, so um, a bit more about that. So I've been on this kind of entrepreneurship fellowship for doctors in the UK. So we're getting quite skilled in data, data science um, management of using kind of wearables and kind of the new innovations in health. And I think that's where lifestyle medicine can actually be delivered probably most um, appropriately, because these consumer devices, I mean, we're talking through a smartphone right now. This democratization through tech enables everyone to be more empowered 
because I mean, there's very few doctors in the world, right? We already have too many patients for doctors and people don't have enough time to see the doctor. So with, with tech, it really enables that delivery of, 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 of lifestyle medicine. And if you look at it from, from kind of a higher scale, you have these teams like the NBA, the USC, FC Barcelona, these top um, athletic performing teams who use the best technologies for their athletes. If it's recovery, sleep management, nutrition, exercise, and that's where all the research starts. Um, I mean, I worked with a few devices that operate with these teams, Apollo Neuroscience being one of them, um, which is kind of a device that you leave on your wrist and it's pretty good for activating um, your parasympathetic nervous system, which helps you relax. So, I mean, athletes have been doing it for a while. And then you see Silicon Valley. I mean, um, you see all these execs and top performing people who are using coaches and therapists. And it's pretty um, mainstream there to look after your health from a preventive model. Um, so what you're saying is, is very true. I mean, exercise prescription, nutrition prescription is a start through your doctor. But we're going to see this change. I, I, and I will go into the wearables if you guys want on, on what kind of things I'm interested in. Yeah. Tell us about the products and tell us about like what you're excited about. That's oh, coming in the pipeline. Yeah, that's probably my favorite thing to discuss, actually. So I'm so I use probably too many. So for listeners, like you don't need to use everything I mentioned. This is just for the sake of you know you can pick and choose. But as an overview, um, I was most excited about the aura ring. So the aura ring um, is a is, is a ring that you wear on your finger, and it measures your sleep. So it senses things like your body temperature, respiratory rate, so how fast you're breathing. Also things like your heart rate variability. Now that sounds like a bit of a long term, but essentially it's a marker of your stress levels and it correlates with that. So in the morning, it gives you a, a readiness score. So when I wake up in the morning, my phone tells me, okay, your readiness score is, you know, if I've been on Clubhouse, it's like 60, but otherwise it's like, right. hopefully I try and aim for 90, right? If I'm, if I'm sleeping while I'm eating right, I'm exercising. But then also say if I have a low day, I can kind of choose to recover instead of like, you know, I'm not training today and, you know, a day off tennis or workout. So it helps you kind of navigate how to live your lifestyle. And I know obviously this isn't open for a lot of people and we were talking about democratizing access and maybe this is a bit high level, but these products will get cheaper. So this will come to the more mass consumer market, right? And it just gives you an indication because as humans, we're so instinctive. We make decisions in the moment, right? We're so emotionally driven. When we see something that looks good with food, we can't resist. We have to engage. Um, we get lazy. We get distracted by things like Netflix. We don't want to work out. Um, this hedonistic culture. But with these devices, it kind of alerts you at different times in terms of, okay, maybe I should work on my health, right? It kind of reminds you and makes that easy. It's, it's less, it's more seamless to do these activities. So the Aura being one, similarly the Whoop. Whoop is, Whoop is quite big in the States right now. Um, raised a lot of money um, two, three weeks ago. Um, and they're essentially a strap. So you strap around your, your wrist, gives you a good indication of your recovery scores. So it's pretty good for people who train a lot. And then now there's new devices like Levels. So Levels Health is a continuous glucose monitor. So normally diabetics um, measure glucose, um, but now they're trying to do it for healthy populations. Because if I was meant to eat something, I eat a banana, my glucose level spike will be different to yours because we're genetically different, right? Right. And that's the thing that sometimes medicine doesn't take into account. We're going towards a personalized preventative approach. So um, levels I'm pretty excited about because you can pretty much work out what foods are good for your glucose and which ones aren't, right? So from there, you can make better decisions. I know, okay, I may want to cheat a cheat day, right? I mean, I do advocate for 80%, 20%. You can be in the week, you can be you know, relaxed about what you eat. You know, we're not, we're not robots, right? We're not competing Olympics level. So why, yeah, yeah. why you know, punish yourself? 
but yes, you can work out, okay, this works for me well, this doesn't. So levels is something that I'm quite excited about. Then with that, um, eight sleep, um, pretty, pretty on the expensive side, but it's a, it's a bed, it's a sleep pod optimizes temperature to sleep yeah it's pretty cool so it's out of um he's an italian guy based in san fran um actually connected with him recently so it's a sleep pod you can optimize your sleep it gives you kind of very um accurate metric from what i've heard i've not tested a sleep um mostly things are only available in america so it takes time for them to get to the uk that's the problem so a sleep i'm pretty bullish about we need it and... for more than you do <laughs> <laughs> exactly i think that's the... right now i do need it <laughs> But then, and then obviously you guys, you know Peloton. Peloton has a cult following now. Uh, Peloton has just changed the game for home workouts. People are engaging, it's through video, that motivation factor of it, you're working out with people. Um, and there's been a lot of acquisitions, like Mirror, Mirror's another. It's, it's a, you work out in the Mirror as a personal trainer that coaches. Oh, I actually, I actually was able to um, check out Mirror before it hit the market. This was at oh, the Inventors wow. Conference in 20, oh, yeah, that's cool. 2019, which is Inventors, mm. For those of you who've heard of South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, Inventors yeah. is like North by Northwest. Taylor and I actually spoke together as part of a panel in 2019. Oh, nice. uh, 2019, right, Taylor? Before COVID, before. <laughs> Seems <laughs> before like ages. <laughs> what year is it? Um, no, so what I want to ask you, these are really cool. So I love that you've given us some examples of, you know, technology, innovation, and how that's really going to be a game changer for precision medicine. If Am I using that word right? Precision yeah, medicine? Yeah, Personalized yeah. precision medicine, right? Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, what is What are the downsides of all of this? What are the risks? I'm sure you get yeah. the whole, what about privacy? Who's yeah. watching <laughs> me? Like they're going to harness my sleep patterns for something right. nefarious. Can we calm people down about that? Or is it a real, is it a real risk? So that's just, I mean, after Cambridge Analytica, right? There's been so much about privacy. I mean, everyone's obviously concerned for the right reasons, because if you can... You know, you say something one day and the next day you advertise <laughs> with all these pictures on your on your on your Instagram feed because they've they've targeted you. So with health, um, the biggest concern probably would be is obviously insurance companies taking advantage of that with your, with your data, not giving people you know different premiums and then picking and choosing people, and then also healthcare systems not being equitable, right? Treating maybe the worried well better than people who need the health more. Because I use tech because I want people who who are well to be empowered and stay well. And then people who need the system, they can be actually cared for for the system because you offloaded all these people who don't need the system, right? So that that's kind of my approach. But with the data side of things, yeah, it's quite tricky because as you said, as Taylor mentioned, um, none of these systems talk to each other. I mean, I'm using four or five different apps, and I'm like, okay, I have to keep checking. There's no kind of platform that puts it all together right even with your medical data you turn up to a hospital yeah. even in the uk it's so decentralized so if you do centralize things there's a data privacy issue again because if, if say a big company was to leak some data or someone is to get into the wrong hands what are the implications but from from what i've read about things like amazon companies like amazon microsoft their systems are pretty robust because they have to be hipaa compliant hipaa is obviously a health system in america which you have to kind of meet those regulations for you to kind of store data. So I would be quite um, confident in, in that, but I don't want to be saying anything because obviously I'm not a legal representative of any of these companies, right? So I don't want this to be biting me in the future. But um, I, no. think, I think, look, we have to be able to willing, our data is known anywhere at the moment. People know who you've dated, who you've, you know, uh, where you've been, et cetera. This, this information is already being tracked. So with your health data, I think it just helps us do so much more research in medicine. I think it should be some of the first information that you should 
be willing to share. That's just a personal perspective. I don't know if you guys agree. Um, but obviously there's always risks, right? I mean, there could be a backlash. I mean, my aura ring could say you're stressed out marketing chocolate ice cream to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> that's exact. So that's something I talk about the, the future, right? I mean, is the future with all these AI bots being emotional companions, is the future that with the Amazon halo, um, your voice detects your mood, you're talking, it gives you a summary of, okay, you were happiest at lunchtime. Wonder why you probably ate something nice, <laughs> but <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, it also brings into yeah. the question, you know, of health equity, uh, especially here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk a lot about pre-existing conditions and healthcare. So now I've got one of these bands that's giving information in real time. What happens when that gets, yeah. you know, in the hands of insurance companies or, uh, you know, people on the other side? I, I think a lot of people and are really worried so, about that. Right? I mean, I would be worried as well if, if I am not in an insurance model in the U.K., so I guess I'm less cognizant of that. But I mean, there are initiatives. So in Singapore, they are paying people. I, I don't, I think it was 200, 300. It wasn't that high amount, but maybe $300 in a free Apple watch to be healthier. And they're going to track their citizens over time. So you're going into this black mirror type scenario where you do steps and you get somehow reimbursed or incentivized. Um, I, I don't know how most people feel about that. Um, as a med- From a public health lens, um, it does reduce the burden in terms of people are healthier earlier, right? You, I mean, those behaviors are formed when you're when you're not even a teenager. Most of your health behaviors um, they can be changed, obviously, but um, it makes it easier if you form them once yeah. you're young. So, um, it, I mean, I think we do need to regulate these things. Like tech, big tech got out of hand um, with Facebook, etc. But it did help in so many ways as well. I mean, this pandemic without tech, what would we be doing? We wouldn't be connected, right? Um, so there's two sides. Yeah, these are the pros and cons. And I think we, you, you, you're in good company in that sense, and that we're scientists. We're all scientists, right? In that sense. Yeah, and that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, and we want to we want to see innovation, but we have to we have to account for the dual use nature of advancements of technologies. And so there's always going to be some manipulation of something. But that being said, I'm much more excited, and I'm sure Taylor is too, not to speak for him, but I often do. (laughs) (laughs) You do too. Um, There's, I'm much more excited than I am nervous. So I'm curious, what excites, what are you most excited about? What are the technologies coming out? I mean, you mentioned some that are already in the market, right? Yeah. Yeah, what about future tech? So I think neurotech, neurotech is definitely the most exciting space. Um, so you've got the utopian side with Elon Musk, obviously, Neuralink. He's obviously, some people are skeptical of it. He's got neurosurgeons on the team. He's got top software engineers. And he is essentially trying to implant chips into your brain to not say it anymore, <laughs> you know, let's yes. carry away. I just heard a podcast um, on this. Oh, did you? Okay, yeah, good. With Adam Gazzardi, um, who's, okay, a, yes, yes, yes. who's a neuroscientist as well. And he was talking about yeah. how how it's not going to happen without it, it it just seems too far fetched and too far in the future but yeah. is it from your reading understanding of it is it are we actually going to get access to it sooner than cuz we're not exactly I mean, landed on mars yeah. yet and set up camps either right how far in the future it, are we talking i mean it's funny because in his Mar- in his uh, spacex contract he already has mars is independent from earth he's right. declared independence right so <laughs> i mean he dreams big and I am not a neurosurgeon, but obviously I've studied like neurosurgery during med school and and kind of some of the applications. And I mean, you do things like um, 
you do stimulate the brains with brain with certain devices for people who do suffer from things like Parkinson's research, people with, you know, strokes, and they are big problems we have. When you've had them, you just can't re rehab is really hard. So he's approaching it from a disease side, but I think his real incentive is to enhance humans. He talks about downloading memories to the cloud. So you can technically live forever in some type of unconscious being and kind of the more futuristic thing. And I don't know how that would be applicable. I mean, I wouldn't have the computer science expertise to that level combined with neurosurgical expertise that you could work out how neurons communicate with like code, right? In real time. But he's spending a lot of money on this. And I mean, he, he has done big things in the past with Tesla, PayPal, um, et cetera. So he's, he's, he's got a good, good record, right? I would be a bit skeptical right now. There's no human trials. But as soon as like human trials have happened, I would be more confident in what's happening. I mean, the thing they showcased last time was, was on pigs. I couldn't really work out what they exactly were doing. I knew they were tracking brainwaves and brainwave research is pretty interesting, but it's not always accurate because the brain is so complicated. So we don't really know. But I think, I think there is, there is, implica- there is um, aspects where this can be implemented. I mean, there is brain computer interfaces is a thing that's studied in medicine and has been applied in, in low, low scale studies. So I think that could happen. But in terms of the future, therapy, mental health, the biggest thing, this company's raising about matching people to therapists. I think the mental health is going to change. I'm most excited about Mind Labs, a company out of London. They give you a halo, and it's called Halo again. I don't know why health tech companies love the word halo. But, I really do. Um, it's a head, it's a head device. <laughs> so you wear this around your head. It tells you your respiratory rate, your heart rate, your brain waves, and then you have online coaching with, with the best elite therapists in the world, yoga teachers, etc. And then in real time, they track the outcomes of, you know, if you're in anxiety states or, you know, low in mood, depression, all these mental health things that we all as individuals experience on a day-to-day basis. I mean, mental health is being normalized. I mean, we all have on and off days, right? And you have to look at it from downstream in the spectrum before you enter these clinical states. So I think that's, it's kind of, they call it emotional fitness almost, the peloton of, of mental health. So that's based So neurotech meets mental health is, is probably the most exciting uh, for me of, of what's coming and what's to come. And then voice devices and AI. I mean, Alexa's getting smarter day by day. The Apple glasses, how that will impact health and how you can, you know, in real time, figure out so many things about what's happening and make better decisions. So that's some of the things I'm excited about. But equally, um, Forward Health, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's a new, so the clinics that, they're, they're dubbed to be the Apple of health. So like you go to the Genius Bar, similar, but you have doctors instead of, um, um, you know, Apple employees. Um, oh yeah, we got one of those in DC. Oh, do you? That's husband on Facebook for it. Yes, we had a new one open in DC. I know what you're talking. You're about. ahead of the game. <laughs> you know, I mean, in the UK, we're behind as always, but it's designed very well, and um, they're pretty low key right now because you know, with health, you scale something and it goes wrong. A lot of implications, but I, I they're going to expand everywhere, undoubtedly. Um, subscription-based model healthcare is is here to stay. I think. Well, you know. Um, Shetha was saying uh, that she she's my dog side. <laughs> pharmaceutical sales rep by from Pfizer, and I was giggling. I had to, you know, since we're wrapping up towards the end of the show. What are to, you about to I do? This came across my Instagram the other day, and this is what I. And so it says <laughs> Pfizer from boner to Corona, we've got you covered. <laughs> You're just jealous I have equity in the company. Just kidding. I don't. I've invested from everything. Don't use that against me. <laughs> but to be fair, we need pharma companies, right? The vaccine, Pfizer came out with it first. <laughs> so. Okay, so we are wrapping up, but I just want to ask 
like just uh, what's your advice then now, right? Because a lot of the stuff we're talking about is is high tech, current and future. But what are pe- what are habits people um, that might not have access yet or maybe aspire to? But what can they do just by themselves in the moment from when they wake up to when they go to sleep? that are just best practices just to give that little boost and maybe move towards overall a holistic approach to their wellness and well-being? Yes, an excellent question. So I would say routine is pretty good. I'm lacking a routine right now and I can definitely feel the implications. So having a routine is number one. So in that routine, five, I'll go through the five sections. So very quickly, nutrition, keep it very simple. Mostly a whole grain plant-based diet is best for you, right? 80% of the time, try and eat non-processed food, unprocessed foods, right? So that's what I'll only say about nutrition. Exercise, at least exercise five times a week for 30 minutes, right? At a moderate intensity, which means that whilst you're exercising, um, you are maybe not out of breath. And then sleep seven to eight hours and then keep good quality relationships. And you can do things like meditating as well as practicing mindfulness, journaling and being grateful. Um, so that's an overview and you can kind of, I, I post about it on my newsletter, on my social media, so you can follow me if you want. Yeah. We'll definitely connect you to connect our viewers to all your stuff. So I shouldn't get mad and just throw a shoe. <laughs> Taylor, you can stop talking to yourself. You're not that lonely. <laughs> yeah, social relationships is a, is a big thing right now. I mean, so they showed the interesting study was that if you, if you are lonely, your risk factor for things like um, chronic disease sometimes and, and, and loneliness and mental health problems can uh, just as much as obesity, which sure. is quite alarming when I read that paper. Um, I mean, physiologically, we've looked at how social connections impact us with things like oxytocin, cortisol levels, your heart rate, your blood pressure. So yes, try and stay connected. What I'm really excited about is the new Surgeon General Vivek Murthy just came out with a, while he was like, um, while Trump was in, in power, goodbye okay. to that era, yes to being American <laughs> again. Um, Vivek Murthy wrote a book. I'm happy for you guys. <laughs> and uh, just like, we need to talk about it, especially, you know, so hey, you and I are Asian. It's maybe it's more prevalent for cultures like us, but yeah. we don't we don't emphasize mental health and we don't emphasize loneliness yeah, and feel risk factors for negative outcomes for patients um, all around, right? So it's really exciting to see that there's going to be somebody, there is somebody now in the White House who is really promoting the benefits of social connection and the importance yeah. of that, so... Yeah, exciting times. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was really informative. We were thrilled to have you and we look forward to bringing you back again to once these, once some of these technologies become reality, let's, let's kind of do a temporary. So. <laughs> no, thank you guys. Down the pipeline again. No, I appreciate getting me on and I really love talking about it. So um, hats off to you guys for running this podcast. That's a wrap for this season. Starting with season three, Shethel will be riding solo with you all. It's been an absolute fantastic journey, and don't worry, you'll definitely be hearing from me again soon. I may have a thing or two up my sleeve that you won't want to miss. So one last time, thanks for tuning in to Risky Behavior.